0: Good morning, DCF. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody good? Weather's changing a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but uh, summer's coming. But don't put your winter clothes away yet. That's how it is in Dothan. (laughs) Um, So glad you guys are here. We're actually going to be starting a new series today called Building Together. Something uh, we've been talking about for a while and just kind of thinking through. You know, we've talked about this many times, but we talk as a leadership team about how do we come out of, you know, what we've been in for the last uh, year or more. And what, is, what does it look like as we kind of go into the future? So we had a lot of great plans um, a year ago. We did uh, and this party celebrating, you know, 45, I think it was 45 years of ministry as a whole for Dothan, 10 years for Karen and I as, uh, as the senior leaders here. And uh, we had these tremendous dreams and passion and direction for everything we're going to, we were going to be heading into. Had no idea that COVID was coming, but uh, God knew COVID was coming, right? So it wasn't a surprise to him. And so uh, it took us by surprise a little bit, as, as not just as a nation, as a city, and that kind of thing, but the entire world. And so I think a lot of people are trying to think through, what does this look like now as we come out of this? And so about halfway into it, a little, little less than that, probably three or four months into it, we, we just were really praying and, and asking God as a team and for us as a church, the leadership team, what do we do different? Is there something that we need to be doing different now that you know, this is upon us and we're in the midst of this this pandemic? And the answer was no. The, the direction we had, had been going, um, God wasn't kidding. <laughs> and so we were heading in the right direction and, uh, and we needed to continue to do that. Uh, one of the things we sensed was maybe the methodologies might change a little bit, um, especially online. If you guys notice, sometimes our transitions are a little choppy right now. It's because we're really trying to work through what it looks like to to preach to you guys but then also to preach to everyone who's uh, joining us online because there's still, still a few people who've not yet come back to um, physical meetings um, in-house with us. And so they're continuing to travel with us online and, and you know, receive ministry that way. Um, we actually have some people from all over the place. Um, we've got people out in California who watch us almost every single Sunday. Uh, we've got, where is it, people in Oregon, Bosnia actually. Some of the, some of the guys in Sarajevo are with us almost every week. Um, I have a cousin that I'd never met who watches me every single, I guess he's, he looks like me and because uh, a lot of us look like each other. And I'd never met him. And so my dad was like, hey, you know, your cousin watches you all the time. And he's, he's, he loves it. And he's down there all the time. And I'm like, do I know him? He's like, nope, never met him. I, I have literally like 100 cousins. No, more than that, actually. My grandparents had 17 kids, 18. One of them passed away as a, as a baby, but 17 My dad had 17 brothers and sisters, and so I got more cousins than we can count. And so um, my extended family is joining our church. (laughs) That's kind of how that's working, which is awesome. I love it. I'm so glad you guys are joining us online. I mean, we love that. That's our passion, our heart, is to take what God has given us as a local church and reach out. And so every church, um, if if you're a healthy, biblically-based church, every church should definitely do a few things, specifically. One is you need to glorify God. That's part and parcel of who we are as, as, a, as a people, is to glorify God. The second thing is to make disciples. And then there's some other things as well that are a little bit less, but those are the two primary things as a local church. And then every church has a local expression. That's, you know, here at DCF, there's a reason that we are DCF and we're not the other church that's next door to us or down the street for us uh, up here and I hear people all the time say, you know, we have way too many churches. No, we don't. I promise you we don't. You know how I know? Cuz there's still lost people, still broken people who don't know Jesus. And so we don't have near enough churches. And so part of what God does is there's an expression through us that's distinctive and different than other churches. And if it's not, then what we ought to do is shut this down and let's all join our resources t- together, right? And have one big church and kind of go from there. So people ask me that all the time, why doesn't that happen? Um, And this is why. There's a distinctive. So part of what we do is we transform lives. This is our, you you hear us say this all the time, our vision statement. We transform lives. That's our primary purpose, to see lives transformed. And we do it by encountering grace. Right? That's the gospel living it out, (laughs) just in case you're wondering what grace is. Um, And then then it's by the uh, uh, encounter of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's who we are. It's our passion. It's what we do. Um, We do this every Sunday. Every time we gather together, this is our purpose. We want to see lives transformed. So that's what we're doing. And so this series that I'm starting into is called Building Together. And so the idea behind this, um, Karen had, had been praying this prophetically, and she was sensing something about, you know, as we come out of this, it's almost like we're rebuilding. But in some ways, we're, for a lot of us, we're building something for the first time because God has a design to take us beyond wh- where we were a year ago and actually do something not entirely different, but some, something that maybe would surprise us. And so, whatever we were doing in some respects, we have to stop doing. You know, methodologies and those kind of things, and we have to begin to do something a little bit different. But it's helpful to start with um, is there a right or a wrong way to build? Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, Jesus is Matthew 16, Matthew sixteen, seventeen, and 18. Um, Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and uh, Peter's just had this revelation of who he is. And so, um, Jesus' is blessing, but there's a little kind of uh, phrase in here that's really important. He says, uh, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It's really important that, this, that what you're doing, what you know about me as the Messiah, wasn't flesh and blood. Remember Paul talked about that. He said, I, I choose no longer to know anybody after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And not to get super spiritual, because that's what, not what he was trying to do. What he was saying was, he said, I knew Jesus as a teacher and a rabbi, until I knew him as my Savior and the Messiah, right? And when I, when I recognized that, that was revelation. And when I got that, everything changed, right? And so that's what he's talking about. He said, um, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then this is what he says, and I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And so th- that's been confused a little bit. Some of you guys kind of know that, um, you know, it wasn't Peter who was the rock, and I'm not going to get into why that is. Some churches, um, some belief systems believe that Peter was the rock Jesus was going to build on. Build on. But I don't know if you read about Peter. <laughs> I'm just saying he's a lot like us <laughs> in so many ways. And uh, he pr- Jesus is not building his church on me, I promise you that. I'm a little bit fallible, and so is Peter. He's building it on that revelation, right? He's building on a revelation that comes from heaven that says, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is about. This is what God is doing in the earth. And when you catch that revelation, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And this rock, and nothing's going to tear this down, right? It's going it's to be here forever and ever. So Jesus is building his church. Um, too often what we try to do is we try to build Jesus' church. And I don't know if you know this, but that's not our job. Jesus said, I'm going to do that. But then the question arises, well, then what do you and I do, right? If we're going to come alongside him and co-labor, what do we do? And so what's interesting is he told us. In Matthew 28, he's given the Great Commission. Most of us know this. And so he just says, this is 28, 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, to his disciples. And he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And that's the foundation, again, that revelation of um, this, is not, this is not just another thing. This is not another religion. This is not a sect of Judaism. That you can join or not join. This is something altogether different. And he said, literally, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. It's, that's finished. It's settled. Then verse 19, he says, so because of that, this is kind of the implication. Because of that then, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. So his, his perspective was, Jesus' perspective was, that you and I are to go make disciples. And, and, the, and the way I know that is because he said, Go make disciples, right? <laughs> and so he said, I'm going to build my church, but you go make disciples. And so there's a way that Jesus is building his church. And you know, we talk about that from time to time governmentally, and what that ought to look like is there, you know, is does it matter how you do it? And the answer is, of course it matters how you do it, right? So go make go make chili and just you know, don't follow the instructions and see what happens, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. And so, so there are ingredients that, that God, does, he doesn't always, like in how we do this in a service, how that specifically should flow and those kind of things. Some of those things he leaves up to us, but there are elements that are involved that should be included when we gather on a Sunday morning or if we gather together in a small group capacity or we go out and we're doing ministry out in, in, in the world. Um, Jesus said our intention through this whole process is to make disciples. And it applies two things. One, obviously, is you're going to make disciples. All of us. No one is exempt from making disciples. Like, but I don't have a a Bible school degree. Good, because sometimes that gets in the way. (laughs) But you still have a responsibility, according to what Jesus said, is to go and make disciples. And, And people ask me sometimes, they're like, hey, if I'm super obedient to this, does that mean I need to go away from my hometown? I'm like, well, you need to be willing to, right? Because Jesus, he actually thinks he's in charge. And so if Jesus is Lord, right, then there's a good indication that he would put something in your heart to go do something. Karen and I are not from Dothan. But well, Karen was. <laughs> she left when she was a kid. And, and then we were somewhere else. And the Lord called us to this church and to this city and to this area. And you guys have become our family. You weren't my family before. Well, you were sort of my You're like those cousins I didn't know, right? <laughs> Am I going to like them? Or are they going to be trying to sell me something all the time? What kind of cousins are they going to be, right? But, that, but when we discovered this and what we've had together, we are brothers and sisters on a mission together. And people make that weird. Again, you know, you want to call each other brother all the time. I have no problem with that. But so often, if we're not careful, we turn brother into a title rather than a function. And the whole idea behind it was, it's, it's who cares about, I mean, do you call your brother brother? Maybe you do. It's a little weird. I sometimes do that to make fun of my brother, but mostly I just call him by his name, right? Um, but he's my brother. And so that's how I see you guys, and this was Jesus' expectation, was in this process of making disciples, it wasn't a formal thing, even though it was organized, it was organic. And so it, those two things are happening at the same time in how Jesus is building his church and how we're making disciples. But the implications are twofold, I said. One is, you're going to make disciples. No one's exempt. You need to be doing that, right? The second thing is you need to be a disciple, right? I'm still a disciple. I've I've been doing this for 34 years, and I, I promise, I literally learn something all the time. I'm constantly learning. And, and part of the reason why is you have to be teachable. and so But the expectation is what God is, is doing in you through others, making disciples, you know, discipleship work in you, you need to be turning around and making disciples as well. So here's a weird thing. I want you to think about this for a second. Um, how many of you guys would say, I have some disciples? Anybody? A few of you guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right? So, but how weird is that when you say that? Doesn't that feel weird? This is my disciple. Because... 'Cause I mean the sense is, you know, I'm kind of above them and you know, I'm kinda of, and so and there's and we can the Bible speaks of that says don't lord it over, right? So we know better than that. But here's the thing, Jesus' expectation is that you would own that. Because there's a there's a weight that comes with going and making disciples that needs to fall on us. some of our first disciples obviously are our family, our immediate family, our biological family. But we're we're to be discipling all the time. So it's part of what God calls it, called us to do. So Jesus is building his church, but we, he told us, to, to make disciples. And that's what we're supposed to do. So let me just read this scripture. This is Psalm 127. Because one, Jesus is building, and we're building alongside. We're co-laborers, the Bible says. And there's a lot of scriptures that speak to this. But it's really interesting, this scripture in Psalms. Um, we've heard it, I'm sure, if you've been around for a while. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, right, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So here's what's really interesting. Two people are building at the same time in that scripture. Look at it again. Unless the Lord builds the house. So if the Lord's not building the house, this is what the scripture is saying. If, If the Lord's not involved in the building of his own house, it's in vain. You are building. You are working oftentimes really, really hard at building something that is absolutely and completely in vain. You know, there's a, the old adage about um, climbing the ladder of uh, the ladder of success and getting to the top of the building and realizing the ladder was leaning against the wrong building, right? And so, it, you, oftentimes you don't discover that till later on. You don't discover the dangers of selfishness until selfishness has had its way with your life for a little while, right? And then you come to a revelation. The truth is, you can learn that stuff ahead of time, and that's where discipleship comes in. That you don't have to you don't have to feel the pain. Someone else's pain they they felt pain. To discover something and walk in something and they can give it to you for free. They want a battle at the end of their own sword that you can have for free as an inheritance. That's the whole poss- the possibility that Jesus is talking to. So what should be happen- happening, and I believe it is, is the church is constantly becoming more and more powerful. It's becoming more and more impactful. And that's true if you look statistically at the church over the years. The church is a powerhouse. Does it have problems? Absolutely it does. But the church is a powerhouse. It is literally reforming nations. And America was built on the foundations of the Judeo-Christian principles. Whether we like it or not, it's still the truth. And the more we get away from that as a nation, the more we fall into trouble. The problem is trouble sometimes takes a little while to take effect. And we all know that individually, but it also happens in churches, in uh, cities, in nations. But two things are happening. The Lord's building the house. And then it says, the builders, if they don't build the way the Lord is building house, they labor in vain. Isn't that fascinating? So we have a responsibility to build, but you know there's the implication that there's a builder. Building implies a builder, but building also implies a pattern. In other words, I can't just build any way I want to. I can't, if, I'm, if I'm building my family and I'm not building my family according to the way God designed us to build families, According to the scripture, that family is going to, that building, that family is going to be in vain. There are going to be parts of that that begin to break down. And most of us are, are you know, re- we're recipients of dysfunctional family. I don't, I don't know very many people who came from a second or third generation, very healthy family. Those who do are impressive. Let me just say, there's something about them that they have an inheritance that's far more than what I have. Um, and they got it for free because they honored the, the people who discipled them. Not, and a lot of those things I had to pay a heavy price to get to. Which one would you prefer, right? <laughs> so, so let me just talk about this for a second, this, this concept about um, a building. And so before I get into that, Psalm 103 is helpful to recognize. Again, going back to the Lord building. It says, know that the Lord is God. Like, you didn't know that. Um, it is He who made us, and we are His we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. One version says, um, know this, that the Lord is God. It is he who, is, who has made us and not ourselves. That's written to all the atheists out there that think, you know, you just accidentally came into being. It literally, if you know anything about science, it literally takes way more faith to believe in atheism than it does to believe in a creator. I promise you it does. So building implies that there's a builder, a builder and then building also implies that there's a pattern. So the Bible is replete with specific patterns for building. Very specific. Let me just give you two. One is the tabernacle from Moses. This is Exodus 25.9. God's revealing to Moses what he needs to do. And this is what he says, Exodus 25.9. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. In other words, please don't deviate from what I'm doing because I'm doing it for a very specific reason. And so I've preached enough messages Using the temple as an illustration of, of our new life in Christ, you know the priest going the high priest going into the holy of holies right, and if he 's not where he needs to be, he dies, and they kind of drag him out kind of thing right um, and he, what he 's doing offering a sacrifice, the blood being sacrificed um, on the on the, the the altar. all these things happening are types and shadows what we call them types and shadows of who Jesus is and what he was coming to do in this Beautiful revelation of the new covenant and salvation. And so if, we, if, if Moses had built that tabernacle wrong, then my sermons would have failed 2,000, 5,000 years later, right? <laughs> so it's not, God didn't really care about my sermon. What he cared about was that pattern mattered, really, really mattered. And so he said build it exactly like the pattern I'm going to give you. Here's another one. You guys maybe have picked this one up. This is Noah and the ark. Remember and if you don't if if you haven't if you're a preacher and you haven't preached salvation message out of Noah and the Ark, you need to go back to Bible school. I'm just saying. So this is Genesis chapter six, starting verse fourteen. It says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then verse 15 says, And this is how you shall make it. Other places said, Make it according to this pattern. This is how you make it. And then he starts going into the length and the width and all the things that matter. Just Interestingly enough, I've read some, some books about the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, and it's, it's the perfect design for the kind of seas that it was going to be sailing on after the flood. <laughs> like naval institutions have studied the the dimensions of the Ark and built ships because of those dimensions. It's fascinating. So, so the pattern, again, but the reason God wanted us to make sure that we understood the pattern was because there was, a, there was something that was going to come from the, from the pattern that was... This was the type in shadow, and this is, was the real thing. So you just can't you can't just build how you want. Paul talks about this in First Corinthians chapter three. He says, um, "For we are God's fellow workers. See that that's a, goes back to that the the builder is building, and those who are building, if they don't building build it according to the builder, they're building it in vain. So he's saying we are God's fellow workers. God has a mission. He has a, he's a he talks about in one place a field." And then he translate or, or transitions to a metaphor of a building. And so you see this happen often. Uh, sometimes the church is an army. The church is a bride. There's different metaphors that God uses. But this is, he's saying, your fellow workers, your God's field. There's that metaphor. Your God's building. And verse 10 says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, this revelation of who God was and pouring himself out in me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. So a wise master builder, you start with the foundation, and from the foundation, you build up. You ever tried to build a house from the top down? My, my uncle did that. <laughs> he, really, he actually built a house and then dug a basement underneath it, and it almost fell down. But it, yeah, that, And that's why. Don't, don't do it backwards. It's not helpful. So it goes on. It says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and others building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. See, Paul. Uh, Paul. He didn't say this in passing. He said this to make sure that as these guys were building the church, as they were participating in what Jesus was building, as they were making disciples, you don't make disciples non-discriminantly. You don't do it. You don't do it your way. I'm like, I'm going to pick a method, and it's okay. Well, some methods are going to be okay. Some methods are not going to be okay because methods are the, are either building. Even if you're doing it unintentionally, you can have a method that builds even if you don't know what you're doing, it's still building. And there are other things where you have methods that are tearing down even even when you think you're building. So just because you're busy doesn't mean you're building correctly. So just keep that, whether it's your family, whether it's a business, whether it's relationships, whatever that may be, always come back to the foundations and build accordingly. He says, um, each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation. So if you, if you try to build on any other foundation but Jesus, it, the house is going to fall down. And that goes back to that scripture in Psalms we are talking about. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a, a quick example of what that potentially could look like building incorrectly. So one um, I'll just give you two views of our life in Christ, right? Some people, methods that were churches have designed, whether they meant to or not, have designed a methodology that brings people into Christ and teach them how to live as disciples. So the version that I, for the most part, maybe a lot of you, you came into was that Jesus, I asked Jesus into my life, right? Um, you pray the prayer of salvation, Jesus come into my life and change me. And, you know, you go through the whole thing. Sinner's prayer made that popular. I don't know if you know this, but there's no sinner, sinner's prayer in the Bible. <laughs> so not that you can't have a sinner's prayer. Uh, lots of people have come to Jesus because of sinner's prayer. The problem is we have often made some of our methodologies as important as the foundations of the Word of God, and they're not. And methodologies are going to change. Culture, there's lots of different ways methodologies change, but the foundation will never change. Like, I can't imagine... I'm speaking into, you know, a camera and a microphone and it reaching people in Sarajevo and, you know, out in California and Oregon, all the different places. I just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it, but I know it's happening, right? So that methodology, we're having to transition as a church. How do we speak into that? So Jesus comes into my life. Um, Jesus is basically an add-on. So Jesus comes into my family. Jesus comes into my career. Jesus becomes a moral imperative that I ought to do things right. And so I find myself in moralism. Um, and often I'm just trying to do the best I can. Jesus saved me, but then i got to live my life better, right? Do better. Right? That's what you ought to do. So church is somewhere I go most Sundays. Not every Sunday because I would like to hunt and fish and do other things. Church is somewhere I, mu- I go on most Sundays, but it's not who I am, right? It's, it's where I go. Um, but primarily, Jesus is an add-on to your life. So he's something you add. It's a program. It's whatever. So you don't think about how you're living in, during the week. You know, you think about how much of a sinner you were on Sunday morning when you realize you've been living your whole life selfishly, you know, for yourself. And then you come into church on the Sunday morning and somebody mentions Jesus. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy. I should probably uh, talk to him more often, <laughs> right? So, again, it's kind of like a fire insurance. And a lot of, this is moralism. A lot of people are doing it. And, and we think this is, uh, and I'm kind of making light of it a little bit because some of us, that's been our experience. But this is a tragedy. Because it creates false disciples. It creates people who think they're Christians and they're not Christians. And it's, it's not just, I, wanna, I want the church to be pure. I think that's true. Jesus made it. That's why he said do it this way, right? There are certain ways to do it. But more importantly, there are people who are trying so hard to please God when Jesus' death on the cross has pleased God for them. And all they have to do is believe in that and live out of that and make Jesus the Lord of their life, Right? And so that's the second version of it, is that not that Jesus comes into my life, I come into His. Because isn't that more accurate, biblically, that when I give my life to Christ, I'm actually giving my whole life to Christ, right? I'm like, hey Jesus, you can have, you can have everything but the boat. <laughs> right? Right? Or, or uh, to, to make it personal, Jesus, you can have everything but the technology, because I'm a tech guy, I like technology, right? Or guns, or... Fishing poles or whatever, you know, whatever your thing is or underwear, whatever Dave was talking about. I don't know earlier. (laughs) Apparently a whole party's around underwear. I don't understand that, but whatever. So here's the thing. Jesus, the way biblically this looked was Jesus says, come and follow me, right? And then he said, come and follow me. And then he made statements like like this. um, You need to count the cost right? And he, talk, and he used it in a building metaphor. He says nobody builds a tower. Nobody's building this massive structure without first sitting down, doing a little bit of you know math, <laughs> which nowadays would be a lot of math buying lumber, right? But they have to do the math and go, can I afford to do this? Am I willing to sacrifice what is ever, ever necessary and pay the price for, to, for, for following Jesus because it's not a small price? Diedrich Bonhoeffer um, incredible pastor during the second world war lost his life in Germany he said when Jesus bids you come he bids you come and die right but from that death you you get the life of Christ in you and your life becomes way better and way more and way more impactful than anything you could have done on your own living a selfless or selfish existence and so that's the picture so I come into Jesus life he says follow me Be like me. Jesus is saying, hey, I've given you a new nature, so now my character, you can become like me. You can become like Jesus, right? You're not supposed to be Jesus. You're supposed to be you, right, in Jesus. You can be like him in character. You can be like him in his competencies. Jesus prayed for the sick. Do you? Do you know how? Are you embarrassed or you're afraid? If I do that, what if they don't get healed? My question is, well, what if they do? That will be an interesting scenario, right? And so the more we say, Lord, I want to learn these competencies, that's literally what discipleship looks like. So I do what I do, and I do more, Jesus said, than even he would do. And I teach others to do the same thing. I seek the kingdom first. Our father is the king. We're invited into this beautiful covenant with him. That was a scripture about Peter. And Jesus said, hey, you know, you didn't learn this on your own. You, were, you heard this from your father, and you've been invited into this family with me. Now you're my brother, right, because you understand this. We're charged or authorized to be his representatives on earth. You are an ambassador. Whether you're a good one or a bad one, you are an ambassador. <laughs> you don't opt there is no opt-out if you're gonna follow Jesus about being an ambassador. You're going to be either a good one or a bad one, but you're gonna be one. Amen? And you're a son. You're gonna be a good, bad, a good, bad or indifferent son, but you cannot stop being a son. I mean, unless you're a daughter, but I don't even want to get into that whole gender thing. We'll be here all day. So, so you're, you're called to be a part of a church, right? part of a local body. You're not independent. You're interdependent in the body. And this is what's re- really interesting. Um, this is a passage, just again, in passing, there's so, much, there's so much information in this passing scripture. It says this in 2 Corinthians. This is Paul. He says, and they exceeded their expectations. He's talking about giving to uh, you know, gathering money and giving to the church in Jerusalem. And he says, um, they exceeded our expectations, talking about the church. And he said, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So, what he said was, hey, we're part of the body of Christ. You know, Paul and, and would come in and he would plant churches and then come and, and with his team appoint elders, and these would be local churches. And he says, um, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Let me tell you the relationship you need with the leadership of a church. You need to be a part of a church. God has called you to be part of a local church, but not going to the church, being the church which means part of a family. And not some weird way where everybody's dysfunctional. That's not God's intention. You're going to have dysfunction in families, I promise you, especially if you have people coming in who know nothing about how to be a disciple, how to represent Jesus, how to walk in the character and the competency of Jesus. They're still gonna, what's going to happen is they're going to learn because you're going to disciple them. So that means you're going to have to have some grace with people who don't know how to be a Christian. Duh, right? Right? <laughs> you're going to have to teach them. But we don't have to be the Holy Spirit and teach them all the things they should not do. That's the fir- We're always like, hey, let's be the Holy Spirit and, you know, and really pour legalism on these poor guys and tell them all the things they can't do. And they're sitting there going, when do I get to do the thing like in the Scripture? Right? John Wimber, one of the, founder, one of the founders of, of uh, um, what's the name of the church? Thank you. Vineyard Church. He, he was big on this. He said, I came into the church. He, he was a denominational church. I was playing music. I'd never, I heard the name of Jesus, didn't know who he was or what he did. That's, he was from California. That's not a smack on California's culture, just where it was. And so he was drinking part of the whole thing. And he said, he, he found out all the things not to do. And he said, after a year or more reading his Bible and going to the church and them not lining up, he went to his pastor and he said, hey, I have a question. He's like, sure. He's like, when do we get to do the cool stuff? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, like raising dead people and healing sick people and casting out demons and, you know, when do we get to do that? Oh, all that stuff died with the early church. And he's like, well, I wish I'd have died with the early church because this is boring. So maybe the early church needs to come back alive because there was a way right, that Jesus did. That's why they called it the way. There was a way that Jesus did it. There is a right way to build it. So I just want to get into this, and we'll wrap this up and jump into this. Again, this is going to be a series that's going to be ongoing because it's important. Where we go as a local church first has to be built on the foundations first, and and you guys need to understand that. You can't just go, oh, we just trust the leaders. Stop doing that. Don't trust leaders implicitly. That's unwise. Don't do that. But also don't withhold your trust. That's why Paul said you gave yourself first to the Lord because you are a disciple of Jesus before you're a disciple of DCF or anybody else, right? You're a disciple of Jesus. And if you do that well, then your loyalty is always going to be to him, which means that's going to be, for lack of a better term, a safety mechanism for us staying on track as the body of Christ. Why? Because if the leadership gets up and says, you know what, we discovered this cool new thing that we're going to do, and it's totally unbiblical, every one of you guys are going to go, hey, sounds great, good luck with that, Dave. Right, You're not going to participate. You're going to come go, I think we need to have coffee. Maybe two or three coffees because it's going to take a while for you, me to smack you around because it's not biblical, right? How, I, I long for that. I want people in my life and, in, and, and around me, not who challenge me indiscriminately. That's not what I mean. People who challenge me to be who God made me to be and to walk in the ways that he's called us to walk in. It's a beautiful thing. So let me just quickly, and I'll come back and we'll, we'll start revisiting this next week. But Jesus had a pattern and how he made disciples, right? And so it's 2,000 years removed culturally and time-wise, but the pattern remains the same. Jesus did it. So he gathered about 12 guys, right? So maybe he's Jesus, so he's pretty good at this. Maybe you and I might be able to gather eight. I don't know. But the whole idea is we we often disciple people one-on-one, and Jesus didn't do that. And there's lots of reasons I'll go into later, but discipleship usually create, was created where there was a group of people, and this is not a meeting on a Sunday morning. There's some discipleship that occurs in this sermon, of course. Um, there's some things that God challenges you to go back and look into and build into yourself. That's great. But, but it has to be a family, right? So Jesus took these guys with him, and he would go to a meeting and preach a message or do some things, and then they would come back to the campfire and they go, hey, how come this? And they asked the practical, hard, challenging questions, and Jesus explained it to them. Sometimes they were, you know, dumb as a sack of hammers, but they (laughs) eventually got it, right? Because once they had those revelations, they didn't go back. And then those 12 guys turned the world upside down, right? So within 300 years of the early church being persecuted constantly, this is through historical records, Over 50% of the Roman Empire had been converted to Christ. From uneducated, no Bible school, no seminary. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that the power doesn't come from knowledge. Knowledge is worthless without the wisdom of having been with Jesus. And that's what they said of the apostles and the disciples. These are unlearned men who have been with Jesus. That's discipleship, right? You can't do it without being together, which means if you're going to be part of discipleship, you're going to have to have some margin in your life. And that means that some of the things that everybody else gets to do, you might not get to do. You're going to have to arrange your life differently. You're going to have to choose priorities because it's the way God called us to do it. So Let me just wrap it up with this. What's a disciple? <laughs> We've been talking about that. Um, Dallas Willard says a disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. <laughs> think about that for a second. Um, you're growing in character, in his character, in his competence. So here's a better question. How would Jesus, Jesus pattern his life if he were you? If he had your job, how would, he, how would he do your work? How would he do that? Your personality type. If he was in your family situation, how would he pattern his life? If he lived where you live, in the deep south, <laughs> right, with some of the challenges and some of the wonders that we have as, as southern Christians, or if he made the same amount of money as you, how would he spend your money if he were you? So when we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see is this emergence of something that's really beautiful. Jesus had three great loves in his life. And I'm going to put this up here where you can see it. He was up towards the Father and the ministry of the Holy Spirit into his life. He was in, towards brothers and sisters, the family of God. That was the time he spent with his disciples. And, and if you look at Scripture He spent more than 50% of his time with his disciples, with those few men. And some of them, the three, even more time with just those three. So it's interesting how he did it. And then lastly, he went out to those who don't yet know God. But he did it in that pattern. His relationship with God was primary, right? His father he would go up to the mountains. He would go out and pray. He would spend time with the Father. He was in relationship with the Father first and foremost. Then the next relationship was with his brothers and sisters, his family on mission. You're going to hear me use that phrase a lot. We are, as a church, a family on mission. and As we grow, we'll become a family of families on mission. Because God's going to call us to go out from here, not this place on a Sunday morning, but who we are as a people, we're going to go out and begin to impact the world the way he designed us to do it. So let me just close with this passage, this few passages in in, uh, Mark chapter 9. I want you to go back and read this. This is a story of um, Jesus going up the mountain of transfiguration and then Jesus coming back down and ministering to the demonized uh, the father who had a a son who was demonized. So Mark uh, chapter 9 verse 2, this is what it says. After six days, Jesus took only Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain. He led them up a high mountain where they could be alone. Jesus' appearance changed in front of them. That goes through the whole transfiguration. They see it. They're like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. What do we need to do about this? And Jesus gives them some instruction on that. And it wasn't abnormal for Jesus to go up a mountain, to go out and pray. That was something that he did. He attended to the upward dimension on a regular basis in his life. You, as a disciple, must do that. You have to have a revelation that comes from Him, not just the people discipling, discipling you. Because if you do, what'll happen? If you don't, if you don't do that, what'll happen is you will give yourself first to your discipler and who's disciple you, and never to the Lord. Which is how cults form. It's how religion gets. It, it's how it gets all mixed up. Don't do that. So then we see him. He he comes down off the mountain, verse 9. On their way down the mountain, it says. And then verse 14 says, when they came to the other disciples. So he comes off the mountain, this encounter with the Father. And he comes into these brothers and sisters. And they minister to one another. And he disciples them. And he speaks into their life. And then he shows them how to do it. He does them with it. And then he releases them while he's watching. And then eventually he lets them go. The Bible says he, he had to go away so the Spirit of God could come and work through individual's disciples. And then lastly, he went out. So he steps into the brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from, from a troubled boy. He went in in power, right? I'll give you an example of that. We do, do this sometimes, Karen and I, when we go to eat, uh, we'll ask the Lord, Lord, do you have anything you want to say to whoever's going to be waiting on us today? We did this one time coming back through. We are in Montgomery. Stopped at a place, and I had this, the lady who came over to, to, to wait on us was not a normal, she was a manager, not normal wait staff. And I sensed the Lord say, um, she, she loves, I want you to tell her how much I love what she does. She works, she has a heart for unwed mothers. I'm like, wow, that's super specific, right? Which is good, because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't make that one up in my head. And so I shared that with her, and she just began to cry. And she said, she said thank you so much, because what happens is, um, I, we've got three girls that, right here who's on our wait, our wait staff, who are unwed mothers, and I, I, I care and I want to help, but we have this thing called, you know, the line that we have as managers that I'm not supposed to be in relationship with them. And I said, yeah, I think that's stupid. I think God thinks that's stupid too. <laughs> I said it a little better than that, but, but my point was you're really going to have to decide what you're going to do with that because what I sense God saying is I'm pleased with that. I want, I want you to keep going with that. So that to her, she was crying. Because again, I don't we don't know what her walk looked like in Jesus. And and I never saw her before, never saw her again. But the point was there was a moment where she's struggling. Think about this. She's struggling with what do I do for these people maybe who don't know Jesus. And and what this out thing, because we're outside the church and willing to take a risk and and impact with the power of the Holy Spirit and the ministry and it's maybe it's a little bit different and maybe she rejects it and says, why would you say such a thing and it, it's embarrassing. I don't know. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But what came from it was, now she gets to make a decision that she's going to be deeper into the move of God and what He's doing in her life and how it's going to impact at least those three girls. Right? And, that, and God wants to do that with you. What is it that burns inside of you when you see things that makes you so angry? And don't say Democrats. I know some of you guys are political. <laughs> Maybe one or two of you are secretly Democrats and Republicans. I don't know how you got in this church, but here you are. <laughs> we love you too. <laughs> so, but you see what I'm saying? There's something that God's called us into that it, when we begin to give our strength into it, that was his intention. But here's the thing. You cannot do that by yourself. You can't do it by, and you weren't intended to. You're supposed to do it from a relationship of up into the relationship of the brothers and sisters, encouraging. The Bible says we're going to get into the, the person of peace where Jesus said, Go out two by two. Don't, don't go by yourself. Do not do that. Don't do it. Always be in team. Two or more. Always be in team. So we're going to get in that. So let me just wrap it up with this question. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with these up in, this up in and out? So let's just do a quick assessment. Let me ask you some questions as we close. And you just you know, don't answer out loud because that will be weird. <laughs> but in the up element, do you make enough space for prayer in your life? Do you read your Bible? Are you spending time with God? Right. Let us pray for at least an hour. No, we're not going down that road because that's legalistic, not helpful. Could you not tarry, you heathen, horrible Christian, could you not tarry one hour? I bought into that lie, and I couldn't tarry one hour, so that's how that worked out. But I pray all the time now. I I realized finally that I was praying all the time. I pray when I'm driving, and so when you see me coming down the road with my eyes closed, my hands raised, (laughs) you can pray with your eyes open. Who knew, right, that you actually pray with your you see what I'm saying? So, given time for that, it doesn't have to look like somebody else's. It just needs to be there. Uh, am I noticing God's strength and power more and more in my own personal life? Am I growing, or have I become stagnant? Am I obedient to God's promptings? When the Lord, you sense I should go over and talk to that person. Well, I don't. I don't like public speaking. Well, then learn. <laughs> okay, submit to Jesus and get better at it. I'm sorry. Um, it's just going to be required of you to do some things because He wants you to represent Him in the earth. That's why He's designed it this way. Let's talk about the end to your brothers and sisters. Do I make myself vulnerable and trust a few other believers to hold me accountable to grow? Are, are people speaking into my life? Are they calling things out? And am I, am I acknowledging it enough so they didn't quit doing that? Because here's what happens. You get around mature believers they're, they, they're, they think through their time and how much time they spent and who they choose to be with, right? Because they're intentional about what God's doing in their life. And if they begin to speak into your life and you act like a knothead and just don't listen, you're like, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. Guess what's going to happen? Not, not because they don't love you, but because they, they know that you're not listening. The Bible says that the only thing for a fool's back is consequences, stripes on their back, right? So they're not going to speak into your life And you're going to miss out on discipleship. And you're not going to receive that inheritance that you could have got by honoring that relationship. So are you making room for that? Um, Am I actively discipling others to help unleash them as they usher in God's kingdom in their sphere of influence? Am I actively pouring my life into other believers and discipling them? Am I being intentional? Is my family, my, my biological family, is it happy in growing together as disciples of Jesus? And lastly is the out. Do I have God's heart for people who don't know Jesus? When you see people who are in sin, do you get angry because you think that they and their sin are the same thing? Because Jesus doesn't see them that way. As a matter of fact, he paid for all that sin, so in so many ways, he looks past the sin and says, hey, I've taken care of this if you'll trust me and believe me into this and repent and, and come to ma- know me and submit your life and your will but man do i have an inheritance for you i'm take away all the negative junk and i'm going to give you everything positive so are we do we have the heart for others do i make it a priority to look for opportunities to share the gospel or my faith story with other people are you ashamed of jesus maybe the question and then lastly do i regularly and this is the margin thing we talked about do I regularly make time in my schedule for relationships with people who do not know Jesus? I asked this question several years ago to us. I want to ask it again. How many, And don't raise your hand. I just want you to see this and feel this impact of it. How many of us have five people that we would call friends who are definitely not believers? How many of us have three or even one? And often, I remember asking that question, and I was a little embarrassed at my answer at the moment. And I don't want to ever be embarrassed about that again. God's not judging us. That's not what this message is about. What this message is about is there is a way that within that way is every good thing that God wants to pour into your life and out of your life. See, we talk about how grace flows into you and how you discover who God made you to be and what you're supposed to be doing and what you're about is how that grace flows out of you, right? Right? So the thing is, if all you ever do is let the grace of God flow into you and there's no outlet, then you are selfish with God's grace, (laughs) right? Now, here's the thing. The beautiful thing is because it comes through you, you get to enjoy every single bit of it. When God moves in me sometimes, I'm so impressed with myself, I can't even begin to tell you. (laughs) And I'm even more impressed because I know that's not me. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that was so profound. So thank you, God, because I definitely know that wasn't me, <laughs> right? So I get, to, I get to walk in the satisfaction, in the impact, in the purity, in the love, in the peace, in the rest of every good thing that God has for me in his inheritance. And then I get to hand it away because it's free. Jesus paid this price so I can give this inheritance to others. Amen? So again, don't beat yourself up. If you answered those questions and you're like, I think maybe I should have better answers next time, don't worry, I'll, I'll ask the questions again. Because <laughs> as we go into the future, here's what we're, we're going to do. Um, we're going to continue to hold to the foundations of grace. What, it, what the gospel means and what that means, not just to my salvation experience, but to how I live that out. How I love my family, how I love my husband, my, my wife, how I love my kids my extended family, how I serve in my workplace, all those different things, how I pursue everything, we're going to trust that the Lord's going to pour those things out, and we're going to pursue them. As we move forward, that's what we're going to do. We're going to hold to the foundations of grace, and we're going to rebuild the foundations of mission, because Jesus expects us to be on mission, and if you're not on mission, many of the tools and the things that you have in your life are not working, they're not They're they're not active in you, which means you're missing such a massive part of the inheritance God has for you as a believer, because His design was for us to be a family on mission, heavy on the covenant and the family part, loving and and connected in relationship with the Father and one another. The up and the in, and then the out is that release of God's power and His impact through your life, and it shouldn't be hard. It should be, you know what, Lord, it's as easy as discovering what you're already doing. As we move into that and we rebuild these foundations of missions, we're going to talk about how to, how to help people move toward, more towards Jesus, right? How to recognize where people are in the Lord. We're going to talk about how to do this as a family in missional communities where we gather and we do what we do in small groups, only now we begin to think through what would it look like if we as a group began to reach out and some of those things. But it's not going to be program-based. Um, it'll be organic and organized at the same time. But we want to we lean heavy into, Lord, what are you doing? And we want to capture what it is that you're doing for us to be on mission. Not just develop a methodology that maybe excludes him. We don't want to do that. So be, pr- be in prayer. And be, be making some decisions as God begins to talk to us about where we go next. We're going to build through the summer. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to do some stuff here in the church and do some stuff outside. But when we're ready to launch into the fall and into this next year, My heart, my passion is that we are winning people to Jesus. And we are hearing testimonies of lives transformed from this platform every single Sunday. And I'm telling you, when that begins to happen, a smile begins to get on your face, then we're going to have some real problems like where are we going to put everybody, right? And we're going to say, hey, listen, I know you, you're not, you don't think you're a great leader, but you're, you're further down the road than these 10 brand new believers who just got saved this morning, right? <laughs> so can you help out and, and work through some of this stuff? And God's going to challenge us, and it's going to take some faith. But I just want to assure you, as we move forward in this, there's going to be tremendous joy. Because God's passion in His heart is to work in us and to work through us to reach people for His kingdom's sake. Amen? So stand with me and let's, let me pray. I'm going to invite Dave to come on up here, close us out. Jesus, we love you, and we hear you, and we want to listen and obey you. Um, Lord, your passion for us is uh, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful in so many ways, Lord, and it's not hard. Lord, what you called us to, is not, it's not too hard. It may be challenging, but it's not too hard. So, Lord, we just take our hearts, and we just submit ourselves to you and say, Jesus, we love you, and we want to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. A disciple is what Jesus would be if He were you. I love that. What would Jesus do if He had your job? How how would He do that job? How would He interact with the people that you interact with on a daily basis? How would He use your finances, the things that that God has just blessed you with? That's that's pretty that's pretty challenging. I think it's something that we can we can all think on during the week and just try you know try it out you know. So. We, we thank you for joining us this morning. If you are in need of uh, prayer or any kind of ministry this morning and you're in-house, uh, we would love, love to pray with you. Um, if you're online, you need, you need some prayer or anything like that, you can email us at dothancf.com. We, we want to reach out and, and, and help you out. Uh, again, we enjoyed having you this morning, and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday.